Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as we've reached the end of yet another week in the dangerous world in which we live. But is there anyone out there listening to the ordinary people and worrying about the real problems facing this country and our society currently? Forget the climate emergency and St. Gressa. Forget the shortage of cauliflowers and forget the fact that Asda are saying not enough people are buying enough garden furniture because of Brexit. The impending doom and gloom of thousands of Remainers is desperately trying to convince us all that Brexit isn't happening before their very eyes. Well, unfortunately, it is happening, it has happened, and you're done. So get over it. Today, though, we are talking about a clear and present danger to our safety, to the safety of our children, our loved ones, and our futures. This is the serious stuff, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. This is not some pointless political diatribe about saving the planet or remaining inside an undemocratic organisation filled with pompous, perfidious, and plainly pointless plutocrats. This is about the dangers on our streets. The fact that we have just recorded the lowest number of penalties and prosecutions for reported crimes, which have hit a record high is just one problem. The fact that drug deaths have now hit a record high as well is another. A knife man with a ferret slashing a civil servant outside the Home Office at the heart of government, one of the best policed areas in Britain, and another man stabbed to death with a screwdriver by a group of teenagers in Newcastle in broad daylight are treated as everyday events now in this country. How are we going to change the course of uh, history as crime continues to blight more and more lives in this country? Something has to be done. Let's try and find out what it should be. 0344 We'll be talking uh, to former Met Police Officer Peter Blexley, of course. Coming up later on, we'll be asking what possible justification there can be for a charity boss to be paid nearly half a million pounds a year. And I'll be telling you what you spend four months of your life waiting for. 0344 499 1000. And since it's Friday, it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards. And the good news is, it's the return of caretaker producer Marta. Uh, you're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, when you see pictures on the front pages of the newspapers today of a man covered in blood, shirtless, having been slashed by a crazed knife man outside uh, the, the main uh, sort of entrance to the Home Office in the middle of Whitehall, in the middle of one of the busiest parts of London, one of the best policed parts of London, you do wonder what on earth is going on. When you see a man in Newcastle who gets into some kind of altercation with a gang of youths, uh, teenagers by the looks of things, ends up getting stabbed to death with a screwdriver and none of these things are really considered to be extraordinary events anymore and that is what we're going to debate this morning. The real danger in our society is that there is lawlessness that there are people out there now who don't care what happens to them if they stab you there are people out there who don't care what happens if the police arrest them and there are people out there who know that even if they are arrested there's a pretty good chance they won't be prosecuted and an even better chance that they will not go to prison. Let's talk to Peter Blexley he's a former Met Police Officer, many of you may know him as well as the Chief Investigator from Channel Force hunted. Peter, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Good morning. Now, um, I see this as the biggest problem in our society today. It's nothing to do with climate change, nothing to do with Brexit. You know, these things have been allowed to kind of slip through the net, as it were. We've now got record drug deaths in this country. We've got record numbers of people committing crimes and not really being punished for them, either prosecuted or sent to prison. What is going on, Peter? Well, the criminal justice system, whether it be the courts, the Crown Prosecution System, or the police, who, of course, are at the very much at the front line, the entire system 
is utterly broken. And that is a direct result uh, of some complex issues, but predominantly the butchering, the slashing of the services of all the criminal justice system, of course, particularly including the police, over the last decade. This sea of bloodshed that is now waving through our streets, clearly the, the blame for this needs to be pointed at those who have occupied 10 Downing Street, the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice. And it's a very, very sad state of affairs that even our sports headlines on your radio station refer to more stories of crime. That is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, we've spoken about the gang culture in this country before. We've spoken about uh, some people targeting, you know, very, very high-end victims like uh, Mesut Ozil and, and footballers up in Cheshire where they're having to now hire practically armed guards to protect themselves and protect their families when they're away playing football. But we've never before, I don't think, seen such a state on our streets where there are so many people who clearly just don't care about the consequences of what it is that they do because they're not frightened of anything. And, of course, <laughs> what is the likelihood, number one, of them being arrested, number two, of them being prosecuted, and number three, of them being convicted and punished? You know, the, the, the prosecutions have dropped by about 40% yes. in recent years. Well, it's a, new record, it's a new record low, Peter, for the number of people actually either handed penalties or prosecuted for crimes, despite the fact that the number of crimes committed has gone through the roof. Absolutely. That dangerously deluded, idiotic former Prime Minister of ours, who, uh, Theresa May, who whilst as Home Secretary and then Prime Minister presided over the butchering of our criminal justice system, has blood on her hands. And whilst Boris Johnson is making frequent pronouncements about what he's going to do to try and make the broken system better... Frankly, it's going to take a lot more than what he's been pledging to try and make every man, woman and child in this country a bit safer. Because the truth of the matter is, we're all a bit more at risk these days. Yes, and we've also got to Richard Atkins QC, Chairman of the Bar Council, saying that criminals are going about their business unchallenged and that the figures that we're looking at now are basically the tip of the iceberg. Yes, they are, sadly. And, and even if we broaden it out, to crimes like fraud, for example, yeah. online cybercrime and what have you, which affects so many vulnerable people. These criminals who, when they're not wielding knives and screwdrivers and killing people, are actually morphing into other forms of crime. Mm. These, these, to, to have your lifetime savings taken from you by some unscrupulous criminal is a deeply, deeply traumatising thing. And where are the resources to investigate these frauds properly? Well, the, the fact of the matter is they simply are not there. There is a criminal's charter now, which has been created over the last decade and is being exploited by thousands and thousands of those people who would take what we've worked so hard to achieve or would otherwise do us physical harm. Well, do you know, my father once said to me when I was a kid that one of these days, and it didn't come true in his lifetime, people who have less than, uh, than you do will just come and take what you've got. And unless somebody does something to stop them, and he could see the signs even way back when, along many years ago, many decades ago, um, and it appears that there isn't anyone that can stop someone from turning up at your house, taking your car, taking your jewellery, taking your money, taking anything they like to take, and the chances of them getting caught doing it are practically nil. Which is why there is a greater responsibility, sadly, upon all of us 
to protect ourselves, protect our loved ones, and protect those things that we've worked so hard to accumulate. So we must get burglar alarms on our houses. We must have CCTV. We must have suitable window and door locks and all those kind of measures we must take to try and stop these people taking our stuff. Yes. I mean, it comes down to something as basic as that, because if you don't feel safe in your own home and you don't feel safe in your own neighbourhood and you're worried about your kids going out... I mean, we had Noel Gallagher the other week saying he's frightened for his own teenage kids going on the tube now because they're going to get mugged. Somebody was stabbed on his street in a very leafy, uh, wealthy part of north-west London. And if you can't have sort of, you know, a reasonable uh, belief that your life is going to go ahead unencumbered by violence on every single day that you walk around, you're going to be a nervous wreck, aren't you? It is surely a fundamental human right, is it not, to be able to walk down the street free of the fear of crime. But alas, for many, many people, not only in big cities, but in villages and towns where county lines, drug networks have been set up, and they, of course, come with violence because the illegal drugs industry cannot settle its disputes in the courts. It has to be settled through violence. So this is polluting almost every part of our nation, this rise in crime, this increase in violence. And, and it's, frankly, a scandal and something really needs to be done about it. Something really does need to be done about it. But you and I, Peter, even in the short space of time that we've known each other, have had this conversation sort of for, for, for quite a few months now. Um, are you seeing anything changing? Not particularly, I mean, no. apart from for the worse. <laughs> no, no, because the number of police officers that Boris Johnson has pledged to recruit won't actually appear on our streets for many, many months, if not years, yeah. because the whole recruiting, vetting, testing and training process is a long and complex one, as it should be, because we're talking about recruiting police officers here. So the, the, any benefit to that is not going to be seen for a long time. And in any event, whilst he pledges to increase police numbers by 20,000 in the next three years, what has not been factored in is the amount of disillusioned, overworked and underpaid police officers who have frankly had enough and are leaving the force in their droves. Yes, and that's not going to help matters because the more experienced people that leave, uh, the worse off we all are. I've got a tweet here from Lionheart who says, Morning, MG, I blame today's crime wave on three things. One, a decade of Theresa May's ineffectiveness and incompetence as Home Secretary and Prime Minister. Two, our Liberal elites wanting to maintain the status quo without facing the looming threat. And three, the normalisation of outrageously immoral behaviour. I'm not sure about number three. I'm not quite sure what he means by that. But certainly Theresa May should have to carry the can for a lot of this, shouldn't Oh, absolutely. Without, without a doubt. Her DNA is all over this crime wave, is all over this fractured criminal justice system. The, the blame is laid fairly and squarely at her doorstep. Without a doubt. Unquestionably, yeah. And now uh, that we're seeing some more money being put into policing, Boris Johnson pledging to bring more numbers back into the police force after taking several uh, several thousand out. I think 20,000 have gone, uh, so they're going to try and bring 20,000 back in. That's going to take a while, though, isn't it? Yes, of course, because, as I've said about the training and the vetting and, and all that very necessary work before they get trained. And even when they do arrive on the streets, because... So much experienced policing has been lost. I found, I heard only the other day where probationer cops were, treat, were teaching probationer cops. 
So you've got inexperience leading the inexperience. Yeah. And that is all completely a result of the police service being so undermined, underfunded, and becoming so demoralised as a result of that foolish woman, Theresa May, and her antics. And what do you make of those people who say things like, well, of course, you know, the youth of today haven't got anything to do, there's no youth clubs for them to go to, you know, there's no table tennis tables for them to get involved with. I don't buy that at all. I think the fact now, we know there's a drug problem. We've seen uh, that there's a big middle-class drug problem as well. I mean, people have been very critical of the Tories' plan to put these warnings onto, uh, onto boxes of chicken that get sold in these chicken shops, where we were told lots of people... People are being recruited to join gangs and join the drug business. You know, people were also saying on Channel 4 News last night, why don't you put warnings for, about cocaine on bottles of Chateau Neuf du Pat? I don't mind if they want to do that. But there's clearly a massive drug problem in this country. We are now the world's capital, I believe, of cocaine consumption per capita. Yeah, well, of course. I'll just take issue with you about other youth services because they have been butchered in the last decade as well. And I think that is one of many factors that come into play here. But, but is it really, though? This... See, I find that hard to believe, Peter. I mean, you know, I was a youth once myself. I know what it's like. I've got kids who were youths and some of them still are. The point is, is that, you know, if you're going to be offered the opportunity to make hundreds of pounds a week by being a, a drugs courier, uh, or you could go and join a youth club and play table tennis, I mean, it's not much of a contest, is it? Ah, oh, but it's just one of many factors. And seeing as you've now got me started on the illegal drugs industry, <laughs> you may well know what is coming next. Okay. Because I, because I am a fervent believer that the war on drugs cannot and will not be won. And let's face it, I've got more frontline experience than most when it comes to that industry. Yeah. And, and, and let's be perfectly frank. 50 years of prohibition have manifestly failed. All we've done is create... Many, many wealthy vi villains, criminals. We've also contributed to huge amounts of bloodshed because that's how the illegal industry settles its differences. They mm. don't go to a civil court. They, 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 they exert violence upon one another. And it is now time for a radical, radical rethink about our entire drugs policy. And my, it is my firm belief that the only way to wrestle this multi-billion pound industry from the vice-like grip of organised crime is the legalisation and the regulation of all drugs. All I would point you to uh, is it's difficult with these uh, drug cartels because they are incredibly fast-moving, they're incredibly well-organised and they're incredibly well-funded. I was watching, and I'm not saying this is an argument against what you're saying, Peter, but one of the things that's happened in America since they've legalised a lot of marijuana in most states is that the drug cartels in Mexico have stopped basically growing marijuana and stopped trying to make money on it because they can't anymore. Instead, they've moved to a much harder form of what's called um, some form of sort of um, laboratory created morphine, uh, which is being sold as kind of fake heroin in the southern uh, southwest states of America. People are dying, people are getting addicted to this stuff, and it's very dangerous. And the argument is that once you, you block one thing, they just move to another one. Mike, which is why I said I am in favour of the legalisation and regulation of all the drugs. Not no, just I heard one, that. Not, not no, I heard that, but the, but, no, but the point is, Peter... Across, across the industry, and if you can beat the criminals on three factors, and they are price, purity, and availability. You will leave those villains with nowhere to go. And in any event, so many criminals these days are morphing into online crime, yeah. for example. Sure. You know, they will find... I'm not going to say that this will lead us to a crime-free nirvana, 
forever after? No, it won't, because certain people don't want to get up every day, work hard and provide for their families. They want the easy life, and the criminal life is a far easier life than actually getting your head down and grafting. However, it will wrestle this industry away from their grip. It will save thousands and thousands of lives. It will create funds that will come into the government coffers through which there can be drug treatment programs for those who are problematic drug users. It will free many, many people from our jails. And we will also be able, in those prisons, to provide vocational training and educational training, which is so desperately needed by many. It's a very good thing to have said right at the end of this conversation, Peter. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Blexley, firm believer in the legalisation of all drugs. He may have a point. I'm not entirely certain that the, the ghastly and dreadfully powerful drug gangs, though, would not just move into some other area, and it might get even worse. I want to hear from you on this. Loads of you have already started calling. This is the place to hear your own voice and your own version of that common sense that we so cherish here at Talk Radio. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take your calls next. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now when we're in the movies or the back of the car You always stop me when I go too far I should have known Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. Coming up in the next hour, of course, you got the Perrier Awards. Uh, I've had a late entry there from the uh, the last section of the show, but uh, we shall see whether I get punished for that. I'm not quite sure what happened. It's rather odd. Uh, somebody's obviously trying to get to me uh, by psychologically unbalancing me. But don't worry, uh, I've come through it and I'm going to be fine. Uh, we're going to talk now uh, to Rachel Hosey, uh, senior lifestyle reporter at the Insider, and the young woman that we always talk about and will talk to uh, whenever there's a story uh, that we need to get her guidance on because. The latest uh, complaint, which apparently is being made by millennials, uh, is that going to weddings nowadays is actually costing them not only their savings, but it's also costing them their friendships. And I would say it might be partly due to the fact that so many weddings now have to be so grand. They have to be taken uh, in places where you wouldn't otherwise normally go. Or they have to be in foreign fields or they have to be in very expensive parts of the world. Rachel, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I have some sympathy with the, with this story, actually, because my, my own daughter, who, who now currently lives in Dubai, had to go to two weddings this summer. One was in Cambridge and the other one was in America. And um, mm. she had to spend the best part of about a month, basically, going to both of them and spending quite a lot of money. And not everybody can afford to do that. No, it's really expensive. And I think there's sort of kind of two issues here that have really confounded. Um, the fact of the matter is that the age when, you know, the vast majority of people are getting married is also the age when we're all renting. Yeah. Um, and so it's these two issues that are coming together that I think is that, you know, the study that I saw that's just come out was about how people are having to sort of if they're falling behind on their rent because they they're going to all these weddings that they can't really afford and it does get really expensive even if the weddings aren't abroad um there's the outfits the gifts the travel accommodation bars and you know if you're in the bridal party for example you often get all these extra costs like a lot of brides will insist that you pay to have your hair and make it professionally done and that can cost up to a hundred pounds and you sort of don't really have 
any any say in that. Right. And um, I think you, I saw a stat that said the average cost of attending just a wedding in the UK is £391 per guest. Wow. And that's presumably if you don't also have to go to the Hindu, because it seems to me there's an awful lot of weddings mm -hmm. and a lot of brides now who can't decide who their bridesmaid should be, so they just decide to make it about yeah. five different people. So then you have to buy the dress, you have to go to all the kind of pre-bridal uh, commitment hearings and, 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 you know, meetings and all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's a pricey time. Because when, I mean, when, I was, when all my friends were getting married, I was actually living in America at the time, and, you know, it didn't seem to be quite such a strain because mm. people didn't have such grandiose plans of, of, of where and when to get married. Mm. Yes, I do think there might be something in, you know, the rise of Instagram and everyone kind yeah. of wanting to one-up each other with lavish weddings and beautiful venues. And it does seem like that is happening to the hen and stag dues as well now. And it, it, it quite often, in my experience, it's if the wedding's not abroad, the hen and stag do will be. Yes. So, you know, you're going to be spending money on flights or trains or something. And then, you know, you're going abroad. These often end up being five-day five day parties. And, you know, it can be like a, a grand for the hen do. Mm. And it's... It's so much. And just talking to some people uh, in the office here who have got friends who are getting married, it is quite tricky, for example, if it is an abroad situation and mm. you say you can't go to both, you can't go to the wedding and you can't go to the hen night or the stag do. And if you can't go to one or the other, people can get a bit sort of snitty about it. Well, exactly. Obviously, when you're the one getting married, it is, it's your special day. You're only meant to do it once and... You, you want to go all out. You want everyone there. But obviously it is a lot to ask for people. But, yeah, it, 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 you often hear about people falling out around wedding issues and it, being, it often is to do with costs. And that's such a shame. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I don't know about the present scenario as well, because, again, mm. um, you, you can sometimes be judged harshly. We've seen stories, mm. haven't we, of people who uh, were told off by the bride or the groom for not giving a big enough or expensive enough present, uh, or mm. for people who are being asked now sometimes to actually contribute money to the actual yeah. wedding, which is really crass, I think. Yeah, I actually am really not a fan of people saying, you know, don't give us a present, just give us money. Yeah. I don't like that at all, actually, because it's meant to be something that means something. Right. You know, it's it, it's not meant to be about funding the party, I don't think. And I, I know people do it, but I don't love it. No. Well, have you ever been asked to do it? Um, not yet, actually. I've had a quite a few, you know, most things I've been to, it's sort of the, the classic line of, oh, you know, we don't. You don't have to uh, give us a gift, but also here's our gift list. Yeah, here's um, the gift list, and then you buy them like an ashtray or something, and they sneer at you. Well, this is it, and if you don't get to the uh, list in time, actually, everyone else would snatch up the good presents, and you'll be left just with something either really rubbish or really expensive. Or really expensive. Yeah, it's tricky, <laughs> so, isn't it? Have you had any yeah. weddings to attend this summer, or have you got any coming up? Well, I've got one coming up, actually. I actually haven't been to any this summer. I think I'm just on the cusp of the age where I'm going to have, you know, five per summer. It's definitely coming. Um, the one I'm going to shortly is in Greece, which is very exciting. Yeah. But it's the type of thing that because it's, it's the only wedding I've got this year, I can afford to do that and it will be lovely. However, if I had multiple weddings abroad, I'd definitely have to sort of be a bit pickier and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do them right. all. 
And that's, and that's awful, isn't it? Because then you have to basically choose your friends in order of importance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that's really hard. And I think it's also a, a real issue for people when, if they're sort of the plus one going to a wedding, so actually they're going with their boyfriend or girlfriend to their boyfriend or girlfriend's friends or family wedding. Yeah. And as the plus one, you don't actually really care about the people there. It's not your friends. You probably still have a nice time there, but... It's definitely not what you choose to spend your money on. Right. And what about the, the, the trip to Greece? Are you making that into a holiday then, or is it just a quick sort of in and out? Well, obviously, you know, I'm having to take annual leave for it, and there was only so much I could take right. um, because I had already booked quite a lot of things this year. Um, so I am sort of making a, a, like a four-day trip of it. Okay. And, um, you know, because I feel you're going there, you might as well. Sure. Um, and I do think it will be lovely and special. It's, it's absolutely a fine by me I, I don't resent spending my money on that at all um but yeah were it my fifth of the year yeah i, I know well that's the problem friendly. absolutely well rachel listen thanks very much indeed i can see how you could have a problem with all of this if it all started to happen at the same time uh, but we'll take your calls on it as well oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand wedding etiquette something which can sometimes drive people around the bend i turned up for a wedding that my uh, daughter was at in the summertime uh, and she was one of the bridesmaids what she hadn't told me even though she told me to get there sort of early was that as one of the bridesmaids i I wouldn't be able to meet her until after the ceremony because they were all huddled inside the house doing things and having pictures taken and all that. So I had to sort of wander about in the garden of these people's house where the wedding was taking place, where I didn't know anyone at all, which was rather bizarre. Uh, but let's talk to Gerard, who's in Crewe, who wants to talk about weddings. He's got one to go to, I think. Hi, Gerard. Well, yeah, I'm going to a good start there, Mike, because I distinctly said I don't want my name from crew coming up because my daughter will fall out with me now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, th I thought I thought you were going to a wedding. I thought that was what you wanted to tell me about. I might not be invited now. I paid for it. Well, but, uh, yeah, well, it is actually. It's quite funny. Well, I just said that you better not say my name from crew, or I'm going to be in trouble with my daughter. Well, just tell her that but she. Yes, well, I, as long as she's not listening, you'll be right. We'll <laughs> keep it right, out. Yeah, we'll yeah, keep you out of the podcast. How's that? <laughs> Great start. Anyway, yeah, my daughter. She's the last of her group to get married, I believe, and right. over the years she's complained bitterly about having to go to Budapest for a, a hen party right. or and then go off to the wedding in some far-flung resort. And uh, she's doing it herself next week. Right. And she's right. doing it because it's a package. Yeah. And she's doing it next week, and we paid for it because, as she said at the time, it's a nice lump sum. It's just a one-off uh, X amount, and that's quite cheap compared to some weddings in this country. Yes. So we said, yeah, that, that is cheap. I mean, you know, 10 grand, whatever, it's split between us, it's grand. However, as I've pointed out to her and others, it's not so cheap when everyone's got to pay for flights. Yeah the hotels, yeah. etc., and the meals out there. Me and my wife, it's an additional 2,000. Right. Bridesmaids, looking at the same, because they've had to get villas to, to spend the week there to turn it into a holiday. Right. But it's been spread out over a two- or three-day period, so it's working out expensive for everybody else. Well, it's great news if you're a Portuguese tourist board, by the sounds of it. I mean, it's like a sort Fantastic. of one-man, it's like a one-man sort of industry you're taking over there. If you totted it all up between it, it's just as dear as a wedding in this country. Yeah, I bet. Except it's in, except it's in foreign climes, and that's it. But I'm not disappointed, but I was surprised that my daughter, who spent three or four years complaining about all her friends getting married <laughs> abroad, and how much it cost her in taking time yes. off work and how much it cost her in fares, 
and then she goes and does it herself. Well, maybe that's, that's that's the best kind of revenge, I suppose, isn't it? You make them have to come to yours as well, so that you're all out of pocket. I suppose that there is a certain synergy to that. But listen, Gerard, sorry to have uh, outed you there, uh, but I'm sure your daughter would be more than happy if you'd have walked her down the aisle, despite what the, that you've embarrassed her on national radio. It's not a problem at all. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. We've got lots more coming up in the next hour. We've got the Perry Awards for one thing. We've also got uh, a conversation to be had about the NHS because the NHS wants to change the way in the future uh, that they check up on your health. They don't want any longer just to do the sort of generic how are you feeling, let's do your blood pressure, let's do your heart rate, uh, let's find out whether uh, you are doing all the right things as you get older. They want to be much more specific about your individual DNA, about your individual gene scenario, so that they can tell you what to look out for uh, and what you should be better at avoiding. I don't know whether that's a good thing or not. We'll be finding out coming up very soon. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, you may not be old enough yet to be in receipt of a text message which says, would you mind popping into your local uh, doctor's surgery, please, to have a health check uh, because you're over the age of 50 and it's time for you to have your blood pressure checked, it's time for you to have uh, your heart rate checked, it's time to check your cholesterol, all of the things that might lead to you having a a slightly earlier than normal uh, expiration date, I suppose you might say, for want of a better word. Uh, But we're going to talk now to Professor Jamie Waterall, uh, National Lead for the NHS Health Health Check programme at Public Health England because um, there's a move to try and make it a little bit more personalised, a little bit more specific to an individual rather than the sort of one-size-fits-all, quick-fit type health check. Professor, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Hi, good afternoon, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for for joining us. I guess this is all kind of based upon an advance in the science, if you like, and the ability to look at individual gene maps and individual DNA and, and sort of hereditary problems. So, yeah, absolutely. We, we know, as you've said, um, too many people are dying unnecessarily from preventable diseases. In fact, I started my career working in the hospital setting where I looked after uh, many people that would come in with a heart attack. And um, my specialty was around cardiology and heart disease. And we know that about 80 to 90 percent of those heart attacks um, that happen could be avoided in the first place if we got better at prevention. So things like you said, blood pressure, cholesterol, um, how much somebody's um, drinking, smoking, exercising. And by understanding those risk factors early, it's really important that then we can lower the future chances of people um, developing one of those conditions. Now, the government's announced today that they want to review our current NHS health check programme, which is really welcomed by us at Public Health England. We think it's the right time to be thinking about how we improve upon what's been an amazing programme already. We've had, say, for example, over the last five years, almost 7 million people receiving that check. But we want to understand by looking at the evidence, how can we tailor this more how can we get more people engaged so we're only seeing about 50 percent of the people that get offered the check taking it up so how do we get more people engaged how can we think about as the evidence emerges around different approaches wider things that may be checked and and that's why we're going to be looking at this in more detail over the coming months okay and what sort of time are you looking at in terms of of a rollout of something like this is it something you could do sort of automatically across the nation or would it have to be tested in a few places first Yeah, so the the announcement um, that's come out, the government are asking, in fact, people to submit evidence for things that they think need to be reviewed or looked at. So I've given you a few examples already. So say, for example, 
should, rather than just doing the same thing to people every five years, should we consider doing, for example, less frequent checks in where people are, are, are very obviously fit and healthy um, when they first come for their NHS health check? And that maybe that we look at increasing the frequency over those individuals that may be at greater risk. So government's currently consulting on what should be included in the review. Then there'll be a commissioned um, review of the evidence and then based on the findings of that, we'll then consider how that could be implemented across the country. So no specific timescale is yet. And what about the difficulty of, of kind of amassing all of the information? Because it's not all there uh, simply to be plucked out by a computer, is it? So that's one of the great things about the NHS Health Check at the moment is it calls people in um, individually and then looks at their risk factors and based on that risk can um, advise people about the things that they could do to be lowering their risk. Now, one of the things that we might want to look at in the future, and again, we, this needs to be part of a review, is could that be done in a digital way, for example? How do we engage people rather than just having to physically go in for, for a check? Is there a way that people might be able to access some of that information online? And again, that's something we'll, we'll want to look at in more detail. Right. And so for anyone who is wary of, for example, you know, data breaches and the things that we worry about, I mean, people wondering about whether insurance companies might be informed of whether you've got some kind of propensity to a particular illness or a particular terminal illness, um, are there guarantees around that? So we, we've been doing these kind of checks for, for many years and um, information isn't disclosed to insurances. As, as if you were going along to see your doctor, your nurse, your pharmacist about any health-related issue or concern, that information doesn't get shared on with insurers. That's really important and um, your, your listeners really must understand that that's not something that, that happens. This is about helping people prevent those diseases that can cause devastation, like I said, that at the beginning of our discussion, I saw countless patients that either had died, unfortunately, from one of those conditions or had to, had to live with the consequences of it. And, but this is largely preventable. We can prevent um, many thousands of um, heart attacks, strokes, cancers if we just got better at prevention. Yes, exactly right. And so, I mean, when you were talking about the take, the uptake on on the kind of the the current health checks and the current medical checks that are done, um, what what did you say the the sort of the the percentages of that? Because could that be better? Yeah, so it's just under fifty percent at the moment, um, and that is something we absolutely want to look at of how we can improve upon upon that. Importantly, though, we know that people, the high risk individuals, so people that are most likely to suffer from one of these uh, events are very likely to take up the check. And that's, that's a really important finding. And, and that comes from really strong public health leadership. Uh, this, this program is actually the responsibility of local government. So your local council are the ones that um, commission the check. They, they ensure that the checks are available for people aged 40 to 74 every five years. And they said they've done a tremendous job to get us to where we are at the moment. Over seven, almost seven million people that have had a check over the last five years and they're reaching high-risk people and and there's some great examples across the country where for example that they aren't just done in 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 gp surgeries for example we we see areas where they're going in and delivering these checks in the workplace um 
areas that are taking um, mobile buses out to uh, areas where they know they're concerned about people's future health risk. And so um, it, it's a great testament of, of public health teams really trying to prevent those those events which we know could be avoided. No, quite. Well, listen, it's interesting. It sounds fascinating. Professor Jamie Watchall, thank you very much indeed. National lead for the NHS Health Check Programme. Let's talk now to Dr Mike Smith, uh, who is, of course, uh, a regular commentator on NHS for us uh, and a former GP as well. Mike, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, Mike. What do you make of it all then, uh, Mike? Because, like I said, there are people who will have misgivings about this, but obviously, inevitably, it's the modern way that we will end up going. What's your, what's your thoughts on introducing something like this to patients? Well, I, I do think it's a good idea, and we've got to move forward. And I think Professor Jamie covered virtually all the points. A couple of things that come to mind is that um, he didn't mention also obesity, which comes in heavily in affecting the way you're going to turn out health-wise. And the, the, the current uh, process, yeah, as he said, is only 50% taken up, and it's likely that women take it up more than men, although, as he said, once people realise that they're greater at risk, they are taking it up more, which is a good thing. I went to a very high-powered lecture, oh, only about but some three months, ago by a genetic um, um, epidemiologist, you know, somebody who not only knows the genetics, but knows how it affects when it's distributed for good or ill in the population. And um, if you're specific on the genes, providing people will let you uh, and won't be afraid that their genetic code is going to be uh, distributed because of the lack of confidentiality, which again, Professor Jamie did uh, uh, touch on. Yeah. Um, that makes the pickup so much quicker, so much earlier, and and and, and p p potentially gives those at greatest risk the greater chance of surviving uh, if something can be done about the condition which their genetic uh, makeup is suggesting they will get more than the rest of the population. So it's got to be a good thing. It really has, and and with all the new modern technology it's becoming more viable uh, because, you know, rather like um, the police and the GPs and the care workers and all the rest, we're running out of people to do the jobs which are ever more available, more technology is available to, to cope with the problems, and we've got to make use of AI increasingly in the future. Well, uh, but, I, you know, I mean, people are always uh, a bit suspicious whenever it's data is mentioned being collected because they fear it's going to be spread. And the numbers of stories, Mike, over the years where people's notes have been lost, but hardly any of it gets into um, the circulation so it affects them personally. Although it's obviously it shouldn't happen and people shouldn't carry around paper data which can get lost. No, it's true. I mean, all I'm wondering about is how precisely it would be administered, this, because we hear all the time, do we not at the moment, that there's not enough GPs, that there's not enough time in the day, they can't see enough patients for as long as they would like to, uh, and they're already kind of up against it. So if you're going to introduce a new, completely new way of doing this kind of stuff, you may be looking at maybe, well, I don't know, opening new clinics or something so that people can go and walk in and have these tests done? Well, uh, quite possibly. And as I've said so many times, you know, registered general nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists are so much more um, specifically trained these days. I sat in with somebody near and dear who was going through their first visit to a physiotherapist the other day. And the history taking in the examination was just like that taken by doctors. Mm. They're going over much the same field. And if they have any concerns, they immediately refer that individual to the GP. But uh, the, the GP doesn't have to get bogged down. They're self-referred nowadays. They can be in many parts of the country straight to the physiotherapist. Um, and so there's all these other <coughs> associated healthcare professionals 
to call on, whilst we still need uh, constant personal attention rather than being able to use artificial intelligence, which is going to come in, you know, it's, it's as sure as eggs is eggs. You see, the, one of the other troubles is when you um, do tests like this, uh, like, for instance, uh, pituitary cancer in men, if every fit man has a, the test, it's non-specific, and therefore many of them might have some sort of cancer, which they'll never know about because they'll die in their 80s, 90s or whatever, and it mm. won't affect them. Whereas if it is picked up when they haven't got symptoms and therefore it's not a diagnosis, it's what's called a screening test, that's potentially harmful because the treatment in itself, the operative condition and also the diagnostic procedure all has potential side effects. And so you've got to be careful about what you pick up and what you don't pick up. And of course, that's something um, I'm sure the researchers will go into in great detail. Yes, I mean, it's a bit like when you get into those rather strange areas, what I regard as rather strange areas of, of women certainly um, deciding to have mastectomies, even though they don't have breast cancer because they have breast cancer in the family. And, you know, you start to wonder whether looking too far ahead into your medical future yeah. is more dangerous than not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, when they do have a, a mother or a sister, a close female relative who's had breast cancer, then they are looked at to see if they it's a genetic component that they've got, which is shared amongst the family. Mm. And if it is, then understandably, the, the risks are so much greater. And that's one of the reasons it comes about. But as you say, um, it's, it's not until the genetic test is done on the near and dear female relatives um, that, that it's, you're seen to be at greater risk. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's quite complicated. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's, you know, your eyes go around in different directions and you think <laughs> too closely about the possibilities. No, but, quite. Yeah. And listen, I, I'm sure we're all in favour of, of, of a more kind of modernised medicine and a more modernised uh, preventative treatment if it can be done. But I just think it may well be that we should proceed with, with caution at this particular juncture ever thus ever thus you don't jump in at the deep end if, if there are unanswered questions before you start so you've you know you've got to really look at it in detail to see that you're doing more good than you're likely to do harm yes and i'm sure that's being taken into account by public health england and all the various researchers work researchers working on it now i'm sure dr mike smith thanks very much indeed of course it all comes down to does it not um the ability for the nhs to administer this particular program their uh, their uh, their money uh, their funding uh, their availability of staff you know we're always being told that they're running out of staff that they don't have enough nurses they don't have enough doctors they don't have enough gps and yet maybe this will be something that they don't need any of those people for because it can all be done by robots or it can all be done by machine. It could well be. We'll take calls on that as well. 0344 499 1000. Would you be concerned, though, um, that the NHS is going to have some data bank riddled and full of all of your information, all of your gene mapping information, all of your DNA, uh, because it could well be, like all of these things, uh, that that data somehow is breached and that data somehow falls into the wrong hands. I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it, but I'm saying it's a reason not to necessarily think that the NHS being in charge of all of that stuff uh, is the right way to go. We'll take some calls though coming up. Loads of you still want to talk about weddings, uh, about crime, uh, and of course, uh, we've got the Perry Awards coming up very shortly as well. This is Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's coming up to 12.34. It's Friday and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Now, 
Now, the music might sound new to you because you may not have heard the Perry Awards before, but I can assure you that it has not been changed. What I can tell you, though, is that I'm delighted to say uh, that Marta is here, the caretaker producer of the show, very much Jeremy Corbyn style, taking over the very popular uh, replacement you are for Con, uh, who once again has not managed to make it in on a Friday. No, but that's is, OK. Has he moved on to a part-time contract? Um, I don't think he, ha he ever had a contract. Oh, really? He just shows up. Yeah, when, when he's around, he's around. When yeah, he's not, he's when not. He's not he's well, not. welcome back to the helm of the Perry Awards. Welcome uh, once more mm. to the Perry Awards. Uh, this is, as you all know, where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic <laughs> so of Mike cool. Graham and choose that favourite moment. Uh, once more, hosted by me, as you were saying, the, uh, the official national unity caretaker yes. of the Independent Republic. Um, let's just explain Cornelius um, is currently on a zero-carbon journey on a boat <laughs> to a secret location for a not-really-deserved break. Is that um, right? Is there some kind of wedding involved as well, isn't there? But not his. Yeah, I think so. No. Obviously. Thankfully. Uh, anyway, he'll be back next week. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, as it's tradition, though, Mike, the first uh, pair of award goes to you. And Marvelous. it's only fair that we begin by highlighting one of the many skills that make you an outstanding radio presenter. Thank you. You win uh, the Peria for uh, Most Eloquent Speaker of the Week. <laughs> David Matchett, Head of Food Policy Development, London, London's Borough Market. What a Borough Market. Borough Market. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, do you know, as I often say, I say a lot of words over the course of the week. That's and it's surprising true. that I get all of them mostly right. Well, all of them. Well, uh, some mostly, of them. Some of them. Some of them. Uh, but uh, fear not, because uh, another vital skill oh, good. for the radio broadcaster is to be able to provide, um, you know, accurate descriptions for the listeners. Uh, you are a master, of course, mm. uh, of this skill as well. And for this reason, you win uh, the best description of the week. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Everybody's coming over to this particular radio show at this particular time because there's nothing else to listen to at this time other than this. This is common sense uh, in, in, in absolute spades. <laughs> this is common sense in absolute spades. Absolute spades. Yeah, well, in spades. It's, it's not better than in spades, in absolute spades. Yeah. Not space. What does that mean? It means that it's just very good. You know, like something in spades means, you know, something in mm. a large quantity. Basically. See that you got. I could give myself a, a perrier now for you like could. misunderstanding of the week. That's fine. That's because, good. Uh, you know, you I, thought it I was space. Yeah, of course. And I was like, what was he on about? <laughs> He's not a physicist. No, I'm uh, not. That's but, certainly one of the things that I am not. One of the very few things that you're not. Yes. Uh, but don't worry, because I'm going to give you a little break now. Thank um, you. Uh, let's uh, move over to uh, David Matchett from Ball Market. He popped in to tell us about some mushrooms that grow from coffee beans. And he also picked up the perrier uh, for the obvious joke of the week. Because I find that whole area and the whole kind of mushroom thing quite fascinating. And I know there'll be people listening to me now going, Mike Graham has now gone officially completely mad. But when you... Oh, you I sounded was, like a fun guy to me. I was saying, <laughs> yeah. We, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but the thing was, we'd already used that in the trail yes. for the for the item. I still haven't cooked the, the mushroom thingy, though, but I will no? do that. I might do it next week. Maybe. Yeah. Whatever you do, please make sure you, sh you share it with me because I'm will. interested. Um, Absolutely. Because I, I managed to... Remember how he gave you a book? He did. I managed to nick it. Yes, I saw that. So uh, I've got it at home now, so I'm definitely going to try that as well. But I want you to go have a go first because I know that you're I will. better there's skilled. Some, there's some ricotta involved, which should be nice. I like that. Mm. Um, speaking of uh, other things that we talk about on the show, apart from mushrooms, one of them is Brexit. Yes. And particularly lately, it's no deal Brexit. Um, some people are scared of it. Some people uh, see it as an opportunity. And uh, regular caller Mike in York belongs to the latter group. Um, he wins an award for coming up with the slogan of the week. Well, I'm sorry, everybody doesn't know that, and I don't agree that it will be. It's not a cliff, it's a beach. 
On the first of like November, it. we will all be sat I like it. You can make that a slogan, you know, put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> that's very good. It's not a cliff, it's a beach. I think that's a great slogan. I think it? it's great. Mm. It's awesome. Quite a few people picked up on it on Twitter, actually, mm-hmm. were putting out pictures of beaches rather than cliffs, <laughs> which is, of course, what social media is all about. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if people actually started putting that on T-shirts. Yeah. You know, I think you should put it on bracelets as well, like yes. wristbands kind of thing. Yeah, headbands. Yeah, headbands, necklaces, gloves. Why not? Why yeah, not? I would absolutely. just put it everywhere. Yeah. Um, another caller, Malcolm in Oxford, um, he actually won a perio last week. Um, he rang in to thank us, and for that, he gets another award for the speech of the week. No, I think that's true. And do you think a lot of your fellow Brexit party members will feel the same? Are you going to make that clear to him? Are you going to sort of send a message or anything? <laughs> Blimey. Cool. You've got some kind of Rottweiler there. Oh, hey? oh. A ro- very small Rottweiler, I suspect. I tell you what. That Rottweiler, he should become like the the show. Yes. Uh, official. We've we've talked a lot about um about dogs this mm. week on we the show. We have actually, yeah. We have, and um, I'll tell you what. Um, there is something that people say when they refer to dogs. Um, it's something about um, friendship, um, companionship. I, I don't know what is it. It's going to be quite interesting to see how I can bring life back uh, to a four-legged best man's friend or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Yes. You've uh, completely man's changed the friend, definition. Yes, yeah, man's best friend, yeah. or best man's friend. Best man's friend. Although it could be that, you know, speaking of weddings, I was, it, I was it talking about It could have been that I was getting confused, yeah. Yeah, so... Putting words in the wrong order. But I'm very good at that. Yeah, you're very good at that. You know, at least you were getting the words right this time. <laughs> there you go. Thank um, you. Moving on to a classic, Impression of the Week. This time it is provided by Julia Hartley Brewer. Ah. And uh, I've got to say, play along at home. Let's see if you can guess who she's trying to impersonate. Well, listen, oh, oh. the rules... The... Did you hear that? I did. Should we play that one so more time? again. Well, listen, oh, oh. the rules... The... Is it um, Mr. Uh, uh, Alan Partridge? Correct. Oh. It's Mr. Alan Partridge. Uh, she kept doing that throughout the show, right. which is really amusing. Cause, was um, it to do with his speeding fine? It was. Right. Um, but I actually didn't have time to do this, but I would have loved to just like get all of the times she said, aha, yeah. and, and put them together. I might remix them. Right. Can we hear day. it again anyway? Well, listen, oh, oh. the rules of the... <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's it is. Like it's kind of compelling. So, sort of in the background. Aha! Yeah. It's you good. could probably turn it into some kind of loopy, music-y thing. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got some time this afternoon. Yeah. Because people will be miss, missing me. Julia next week. You can play it a lot Definitely, next week. yeah. Mm. We can play that out on the trails, maybe. Uh, back to callers, though. Pat in Stepney uh, rang in to talk about Greta Thunberg, also known as Greta Thunderbird yes. in this show. And um, uh, he told us about the fact that she's, you know, she's heading to New York in order to save the planet. But there is a major flaw in her plan, apparently. Uh, Pat wins a Perry for pointing that out. Now, I mean... Um, on this um, yacht, they've got solar panels. Now, they can't be getting no power during the night because there's no sun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a point there. He does have a point, yeah, actually. actually on, yeah. On, on a completely separate new breaking news item, somebody has mm-hmm. informed me that apparently the people who are going to sail the boat back in mm-hmm. the opposite direction, yeah. I don't know when that's going to be, yeah. are actually flying to New York to do so. <laughs> So, I mean, Doesn't you know, that defeat the whole purpose of... It kind um, of does. Yeah. It kind of does. And also, how is she coming back? Is well, that's going... what we don't know. We don't know that yet. She's going to go to Santiago in uh, in Chile, but I'm not sure if she's going there on the boat or going yeah. there by some of them. She might be going there by land, I suppose. So, walking. Walking. That'll take a couple of years, I would imagine. That's fine. She's taking way. some time off anyway, isn't she? Mm, yes. A year. Sabbatical. A year. 
That's yeah. not bad, is okay. it? Okay, so we'll keep in touch with you on that. We'll stay in touch. And speaking of people who uh, like to travel, yes. uh, Ben Clatworthy from the Times Travel Writer, he came into studio <laughs> to talk about why many Brits have decided to go on last-minute holidays. Yes. And while he did that, he also picked up a perrier for Noise of the Week. Never argue this, as I tried with the uh, uh, child of a pilot, because you won't win the right. battle, I Right, <laughs> these are the people that say they should be... <laughs> That's a great noise. If for those, those of you are wondering what it was, it was his uh, armrest on the yeah, chair. Yeah, his armrest. So which maybe is I somehow, can. I think if you touch a certain portion of it underneath, it just goes yeah, down. Yeah, it just it? goes down. Collapses. So I don't, I don't know if El I can demonstrate. El collapso. Correct. There I don't know go. if I can demonstrate, but. Yeah. yeah, no, you can't. It's one of those things you can only do no, by No, you can only do it by mistake, yeah. yeah. That's great. Anyway, bless him. Well done, Ben. Uh, well done, Ben. Welcome to the mm. Terrier Awards. Exactly. Um, now, another one for uh, Julia Hartley Brewer. Wow. Um, host of the Talk Radio Breakfast Show with Julia Hartley Brewer, brought to you by the Times Politics Tamed. This is. Um, it's a long name for a show, I've got to say. Uh, poor Julia, she gets up really early in the morning, yeah. we know that, and she gets a little bit confused sometimes. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew Quine, a rail analyst, also of various policy papers for the Adam Smith Institute. As you can hear live there from a uh, radio station, a radio station, a, a railway station. Sorry? A radio station, no, yeah, a railway station. Those are all station. just words in completely the wrong order as well. Yeah. And we're both quite good at that. She's speaking of the trend of like saying uh, words yes. that, that, that don't really mean just anything. Just put them in a different order and, yes. you know, they could mean anything. She gets away with it, though. She does. Well, um, she's very good. She is, obviously. Obviously, she's very good. Now it's good to see you, Mike. One well, that's a bit controversial, but there you go. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Um, now, some of you might not know this, but um, talk radio carries on after one yes, when we leave. Yes, it does. Um, it, and, you know, Ian we Collins recommend... is on today. Correct. And he's in for Matthew uh, Wright and Kevin O'Sullivan. Yes. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, Ian Collins is in today. He's been in all week, I yeah. think. And uh, he picks up uh, his first period ever, I Does think, he? for not being very social. Twitter is great for more succinct messages. But yes, it's, I mean, that was posted on there on the 12th of August. So that's three days ago. Um, and how many likes? And prior, prior to that, 22nd of July was the last time I posted something. Um, prior to that, the 3rd of July, 19th of June. So it's every few weeks. Mm. It's re I'm, I'm not really on it. <laughs> He's not really on his social media, is he? Why is he not on social media? I mean, Ian well, Collins, I, I when I first worked with Ian Collins, he was one of the first people that got involved with Twitter when nobody else knew what it was. Maybe he's just run out of uh, tweets. Exactly. Maybe maybe he just put all of his tweets yeah. out when it came out and now he just yeah. doesn't have any... Um, I think goodness. that's a question for you to ask when it comes in I later. will ask him that, yeah. You haven't taken it out of context, I hope, have you? I have not. Okay. I have, I have not. Just I'm, checking. I, I'm not like that. Come okay. On, come on. I'm Marvelous. not like that. All right. And um, finally, finally. Um, another one for you, Mike. We've already talked about your broadcasting skills and, you know, we could be here all day because there's so many. We could. Um, you're a very fair man and uh, while you're almost never wrong, um, whenever hardly, that happens, hardly ever, hardly ever uh, you know, uh, you own up to it and congratulations, you win the perrier for correction of the week. Because we've all got a dog. Well, not all of us, but lots of us have. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, um, the guy who uh, has the, the dog has tweeted to say how delighted he is that he's won a perrier. Yes, Aww. the dog got a perrier award. What a great week. That's really good. Isn't that nice? That's really good. Listen, we should get the dog as many times as we can. Yeah, absolutely right. Don't forget, I saved the dog's life earlier. That's even though it was true. only a fake dog, but I still saved his life. That's okay. That's yeah. okay, because you know transferable skills. We've yeah. been talking about that I managed about to make it cough something out about four feet 
which I thought was pretty impressive. It, it was very impressive. Yeah. Uh, it was really fun to watch from behind the glass. I'm I've sure got it was. To say. Marta, um, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And I, I should say, because uh, it, it's written on this piece of paper, yeah. uh, that's it for a pair of awards. It'll be more next week. <laughs> The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.